Okay, so in 1977, there was an awful movie that came out in the theaters, and it was called Orca the Killer Whale. And I'll bet most of you didn't see it. But uh, to give you an idea how bad it was, it, it, scored a, it actually scored a 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's a 10 out of 100. Uh, one of the critic reviews said this, If it were medically possible to overdose on a terrible movie, then Orca would carry a warning label from the Surgeon General. Uh, so the lesson learned, skip Orca and watch Jaws. Uh, we've been going through a, a series on the Minor Prophets. And today we're uh, on Jonah. And so our title today is going to be Jonah Meets Orca. And our three points today are going to be running from God, turning to God, and surrendering before God. So if you will, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and be turning to uh, the book of Jonah. And it's in those minor prophets. And uh, for the rest of you, if you don't have a Bible, you can just kind of follow along. But I encourage you all at some point this week, read the story because I can't cover every verse. And there's a lot that I'm going to leave out. And if you read the whole thing, God will speak to your heart and he'll teach you things that you need to know. So, again, Jonah meets Orca and our three points are running from God, turning to God and surrendering before God. Hey, let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, in all things you're faithful. Lord, a long time ago, uh, this event actually happened. Uh, there really was a prophet Jonah. And, and we see how he ran from you, Lord. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would teach us things from this story that would have an impact on our lives. But not just in our lives, Lord, but in those that we know in our community, uh, in our nation, Lord, and worldwide. And we pray this, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so our first point today is running from God. And in case you're unfamiliar with the story of Jonah, it's about a prophet of God who uh, does the exact opposite of what God commanded him to do. So we start in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So let's just go back and hit on a couple of things. First of all, in verse 2, there's God's command. He tells Jonah, go to Nineveh for their evil has come up before me. So it's a simple idea. The city of Nineveh is evil. And God is telling Jonah, go and warn them. That my judgment is coming. In verse 3 we see this. That Jonah does the exact opposite of what God commanded him to do. Instead of going towards Nineveh. He heads towards Tarshish. And you would have to ask the question. Why did he do this? Well in order to know this. In order to know why Jonah ran from God. We have to jump forward to the last chapter of the book. So we're going to fast forward to chapter 4, verse 2. And understand this. If you miss the reason why Jonah ran, you're going to miss the significance of the whole story. So here we find in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. And he, meaning Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The idea is this. Jonah did not want God to grant mercy to his enemies. 
Uh, and again, we're fast forwarding right now. But the end of the story is this, that Nineveh actually has a revival and they convert and turn and turn towards God. But that's exactly what Jonah did not want. And he was a prophet of God. Now, I'm in chapter four just for a few minutes because I want you to think about the great question that you have to ask yourself. If God wants to use me in any way to bring my enemy to faith, am I willing? I want you to consider that thought because you may have one person or maybe more than one. And you have trouble when, you, when they even come to your mind. And the question is this. Am I willing, if God wants to use me in any way, to bring that person to faith? Am I willing to be a part of it? Think of it in incremental steps. Okay, first step. Am I willing to forgive? Am I willing to pray for that person? Am I willing to tell that person? If the answer is no... You cannot pretend to like this story because you actually would be sharing the same attitude that Jonah had. He did not want God to grant mercy to his enemies. Now, Jonah answered to God. He told him no, and he did that physically because he went in the other direction. In fact, specifically, it says in verse three, not only did he head away from Nineveh, it tells us. He went from the presence of the Lord. He no longer wanted to be in communion with God. And understand, he was a prophet of God. You got to ask yourself, which is greater? Your love for God or your desire for anything else? Before I move on, you got to camp out on that question, y'all. Which is greater, your love for God or your desire for anything else? Because one is going to outweigh the other. Okay, so we go back to chapter 1, verse 4. Jonah ran from God. And we find this out, Jonah uh, 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Now, let me ask you, does this scenario remind you of anybody? Did you know that the story of Jonah actually foreshadows Christ? 800 years later, a young rabbi and 12 friends were going to experience a similar storm at sea. And we read about that. In the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 38, it says, But he, and we're talking about Jesus, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Right? The apostles were afraid, if you remember that story. Now, I want you to remember that word perish because it's going to come up a few times. In fact, The captain uses similar words. The captain who spoke to Jonah uses similar words that the apostles use with Jesus. So let's go back to Jonah chapter 1 verse 6. And it says, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us 
that we may not perish. There's that word. The captain had no idea what he was saying. That 800 years later, God was going to give even more than a thought to those who were perishing. And what I mean is, in John 3.16, Jesus put it like this. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave not just a thought, but he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The two stories are linked, Jonah and Jesus. Now, we're going to go back to Jonah's boat. And so what happens is they're afraid. They cast lots to find out whose fault it is and why has this storm risen. And so far, they're all praying to their different gods. And they've woken Jonah up. And there he is. And they cast lots to find out whose fault it is that the evil has come upon them. And the lot fell on Jonah. And here's what Jonah tells them. This is in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. It says, he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And said to him. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Because he had told them. All right, Now that's pretty brazen. Okay, That's laying your cards on the table. I mean think about it. All right, Here's this storm raging. These guys are afraid. They cast lots. It falls on Jonah. And he tells them. Hey guys. The reason we're in this storm and the reason we're about to die is because I'm running from the true and living God and he is angry at me. You can imagine what they felt. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Skip to verse 12. He said to them, pick me up. Remember that phrase. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Now let me ask you, does this remind you of anybody? Because again, the story points to Christ. There was a time when Christ said this in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth. And what he was talking about was being crucified. We'll see that in a second. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people To myself, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Christ one day would be lifted up and put on a cross. He would die for all. And he would draw men to himself. In other words, he would create the opportunity where if you and I would put our faith in him. Once he had died for our sins and risen from the dead. If we would put our faith in Christ, we could be saved. We could have our sins forgiven. We could have a relationship with God. The cross is central to the story of Jonah. The storm was raging around Jonah's ship. And the men were afraid. And the storm represents God's wrath. And one had to be lifted up. Just like Christ was lifted up and put on the cross. One had to be lifted up. And to bear the punishment. In Jonah's case. He was guilty. And had brought evil. Danger and judgment upon others. But in Jesus case. He was innocent. He took upon himself. 
the evil of others to save them from danger and judgment. Now, back to Jonah, chapter 1, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Do you see that? And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Don't miss this, y'all. The result of Jonah being lifted up and thrown into the sea is that God's wrath was appeased and the men in the boat came to faith in the true and living God. In the same way, when Christ was lifted up and nailed to that cross, the sins of the world, your sins and mine, came upon his body. And beyond that, he bore the wrath of God, just like that storm around Jonah's boat. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf that you and I could be saved if we would simply put our faith in Christ, if we would put our faith in the one that's called the Savior. Um, One had to be sacrificed for all. A few weeks ago, uh, the youth group went kayaking. Okay, there was about uh, 20 of us that went. And, uh, you know, there we were just going along, and I had the little ice chest uh, in my kayak. And all of a sudden, I don't know how this happened, but my kayak came aground uh, in the middle of the river at, at a low spot. And I noticed the kids, uh, for the most part, none of them got stuck. Now, I'm sure it's because I had that ice chest with me. Okay, I'm sure that was the only reason. But uh, honestly, I just did not want to have to get up and move my kayak by hand. And so I started calling out to the kids, and I thought, they're not going to listen. But I called out, hey, you young people, come help the elderly man, or should I say the vintage man. And so, uh, like I said, I didn't expect any of them to help. Well, instantly, Caden hops out of his kayak, and he grabs the front of my kayak, and he starts pulling. And then a girl named Andrea, she comes up and grabs the back of my, my kayak, and together they heaved and hoed, and they set me loose. It was miraculous. (laughs) So there I am, continuing to kayak, and I thought about their motives. Now, I understood Cadence immediately, because I thought, if I don't make it home, he'll never have ice cream again, because Connie is not going to buy it, right? So that was his motivation. But I thought, why Andrea? So I asked her, why'd you help me? And she said, because I couldn't leave my man behind. (laughs) And I thought, she sounds like a Marine. And I found out later, found out later she's an ROTC. So I love that. You can't leave your man behind. Now, in the case of Christ, one did have to be delivered up on the behalf of all the others. And Christ actually was the only hope for mankind. Uh, If only one could bear the wrath of God. Now, in the case of Jonah... Same idea. The only hope for the men in the boat is if one was lifted up and cast into the sea, cast into that raging storm. Okay, that brings us to point two, turning to God. Here's what happens. Jonah becomes desperate and he cries out to God, the one he'd been running from. So we've arrived at the most famous part of Jonah's story. And it's actually the tail end of chapter one. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I have to tell you right here, uh, I've got a lot of friends who are skeptics. Um, I've met lots of teenagers 
who are skeptical about the Bible and the whole Christianity thing. Um, but I've also found that there are believers who have trouble believing this story was an actual, literal event. And they find it hard to believe. Um, one of the reasons it's important to believe that this story really happened is because Jesus referred to the story of Jonah as a literal event. So that should end the argument. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus' words. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was actually, literally, according to Jesus, inside of a whale. And he miraculously survived. But don't miss this. By Jesus tying his story to Jonah being in the whale, he's making an even greater prediction. And what Jesus was saying is that he was going to be in the grave. And that on the third day, he was going to emerge from the grave. You can't divide the two. Y'all, the stories are uh, eternally linked. Uh, So if we take the story as written, um, I want you to imagine Jonah's experience, okay? And even though you've heard this story a bunch of times, it may help you to close your eyes. You don't have to. But I want you to try to imagine what he was going through, okay? Inside this whale, right? It's darkness. It's wet. It stinks. He's in a cramped space. There's constant motion up and down, up and down. The whale is a mammal. So it's got to come up. And when it opens its mouth, in comes fresh air. And when it gets hungry, it opens its mouth and in comes fresh fish. What is he feeling? Okay. Talk about Jonah, not the whale. Okay. Uh, Jonah's feeling probably he's feeling afraid. He's feeling uncomfortable. Very likely he's a little bit queasy. You think? He's being sloshed around. You can't sleep in those conditions. And how long was he there? Three days and three nights. The result? Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's a lot in here, but here's a main idea. Jonah may have had a bad attitude, but he definitely had belief and faith in Almighty God. And it's a good thing for Jonah that God is a merciful God. It's also a good thing for Jonah that God has a sense of humor. So Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Okay. I don't know how anybody can say that the Bible is boring. All right. So now we're in Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So picture it. He's on the beach and he's in disgusting shape. But God's calling to him had not changed. And there's a lesson here for you and me. Is that when we resist God, God is fully capable 
of bringing any one of us the long way around to eventually bring us back to the exact spot where he wanted us in the first place. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. One man in a city of about 120,000 people. So to give you a little reference, um, that's about the size of Lafayette, Louisiana. Young people, if you hadn't been to Lafayette, how about this? If you think of all the people that live in Mandeville and Covington times five, that's about the size of Nineveh at the time. Jonah chapter three, verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. It goes on a little bit later. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This, by the way, is the biggest miracle in the story. Okay. I mean, God, it's nothing to conjure up a fish, swallow somebody, spit them out somewhere. But you understand 120,000 people uh, come to faith in God. It's the largest recorded number of people coming to faith in one place at one time. Now, the news reached the king. So he calls for a citywide fast. And we hear about that in Jonah uh, 3 verse 7. He says, let neither man nor beast, skip a little bit, feed or drink water, but skip a little. Let them call out mightily to God. Verse 9, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. There's that word again, reminding us, right, reminding us one day Christ would come, die for sins, rise again. That if we put our faith in him, we might not perish. I love the words, the question he asked there in verse 9. The king says, who knows? God may turn and relent. Okay? Pagan king. Worshipping idols all his life. And he says, who knows? If we turn to him and fast and pray mightily, he says, in fact, God may turn and relent. Let me ask a question. What would happen if we were all to fast and call mightily to God? But when I say fast, let me talk about what most of us have been doing lately, me included, right? Almost nonstop, you're watching the news and you're getting those notifications. What if the time we took thinking about all that stuff, if we put that aside and if we took time to call out to God, mightily and begged him for revival. Um, When I was a freshman at LSU, uh, I met a guy named Guillermo and I had just become a Christian maybe a month before. Uh, And you know what that means, right? That means I put my faith in Christ and I thought I knew everything because I'd started reading the Bible about 30 or 40 days before. So now I had all the answers and I was eager to straighten this guy out. And so he and I were in this argument. We were going back and forth, back and forth. And I forget if I mentioned this. His name was Guillermo. But we went back and forth, back and forth. And I'm telling you, it was a bad idea. It was terrible, okay? Because really, I was just trying to argue this guy into the kingdom. I was trying to do something that only God could do. Plus, I was doing it with a terrible attitude. I'm arguing with the guy, right? 
Years went by. My senior year in college, I bumped into him. He says, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, your name's Guillermo. And he says, well, I don't remember your name. He says, but way back then, he says, you tried to tell me about Jesus. He said, I was stubborn, but you were right. And then he told me the story about years later, how he had come to faith in Christ. Guys, look, (laughs) he came to faith. And I believe God used that moment, even though I did it poorly and just spitting out my arguments. But the fact is, years later, through other events and circumstances, God brought that guy to faith. I want you to think about this, y'all. Imagine what God might do if we were to put away our foolishness and call on him mightily. What would happen? Our third point today is surrendering before God. So sometimes when the crisis is over, uh, we go back to old attitudes. And in Jonah's case, now that he was out of the whale and this whole city had had a revival, uh, he sits down and he pouts. But God continues to work on Jonah and bring him to a point of surrender. So we're in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And understand, we already talked about this. What was he angry about was that God had had mercy on his enemies. His enemies had come to faith. Uh, it's, again, it's the greatest revival in recorded scripture. And Jonah is too angry to enjoy it. I mean, think about, think about preachers. Think about, you know, how, how people say, oh, you know, I, I mean, think about how many people would love to say, hey, I preached. And 120,000 people came to faith. And here's Jonah, angry about it. There's a lesson for us. We miss out on God's blessing as well when we want our way more than his way. So through a series of events, um, God continues to bring Jonah off his high horse. And what happens is uh, God creates miraculously this plant that grows up quickly and uh, and shades him from the sun and he likes that but then god appoints a worm to eat through that plant and then the plant falls over and dies and so jonah is angry again and now we're in uh, chapter 4 verse 10 and here's the conversation with god the lord said you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night and should not i pity nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. You know, my favorite part of the story is that it ends open-ended. It doesn't tell you specifically how Jonah responded to God after when God raised this question. Okay, But we are given a hint, we're given a clue that Jonah's the one that wrote the book. So the idea I have is that by the time it was all said and done, he did actually learn his lesson. Now, let's talk about application. How about you? I've got a few questions for you. Number one, are you running? How long till you turn and surrender? Second question is related. Which is greater, your love for God or your desire for anything else? And my last question, are you willing 
to call mightily to God for Mandeville, for Covington, for Madisonville, for the United States. You know, I had this thought the other day, how quickly things changed worldwide, right? When all the, the news of the pandemic came out. Well, what if Jesus became the news that the entire world was talking about? Are you willing to call mightily to God for that to happen? Who knows? God may turn and relent. Let me give you just a minute to just close your eyes and consider what you've heard today and see if God doesn't speak to your heart. Dear Lord, you are almighty God. You can do all things, Lord. And this story is just a short story that we find in the Old Testament about a prophet who has a terrible attitude the entire story. But yet we also know, Lord, that these are actual events that took place. And you were able to teach him lessons, Lord. Lord, you saved all the men on that boat and all the people in that city. God, I pray you would grow our faith and that we put our faith, Lord, in an almighty God. Lord, we pray for our area. We pray for our country, Lord. We pray worldwide that Jesus would become the news and people would come to Christ. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen.